Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, it's Pollinator Week in Minnesota. Paul Bunyan's axe goes on tour and an ode to Joe Maurer in honor of the hometown hero having his number retired. But first, MNN's Tasha Radel has the story on Minnesota's Summer Special Olympics. The Summer Games are underway on the campus of the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul. Joining me now is David Dorn, President and CEO of Special Olympics Minnesota. David, tell us a little bit about this year's event. Sure. I mean, this year's event is is our largest uh, state competition as far as number of volunteers, athletes, coaches. When you combine it all, you know, there'll be probably 10,000 people uh, walking through the campus of St. Thomas this weekend. Um, we have over 3,600 athletes, coaches, and unified partners that will be competing in uh, basketball, track and field, swimming. Uh, we just wrapped up gymnastics. Um, and so it's, it's a pretty... Uh, Amazing event to see all these athletes competing, but also uh, very festive as well. And, you know, when we talk about Special Olympics, uh, can you give us a little bit about some of the background? When did this start? Sure. You know, it, uh, Special Olympics was founded. Last year we celebrated our 50th anniversary. And so, you know, we've come a long way. Uh, 50 years ago, the first World Games uh, were held in, in Soldier Field, um, and this past year, you know, and there was, you know, hundreds of athletes, and now we're over 5 million athletes in 170 countries, and the World Games were held in Abu Dhabi uh, just this past March. So the movement has come a long, long way uh, in providing opportunities for people that, may, you know, might not have had that opportunity before, and now we're competing on a world stage where our, the games are televised by ESPN and you know it's become a premier sporting event as opposed to a community page event uh, where it first started. The, the real exciting part though is where the future is pointing us and that is around unified, un, the whole unified sports and unified uh, movement where we're all about inclusion. So if you look at many of our athletes this weekend uh, they'll be competing on teams where half the athletes have a disability and half do not. And so, and that's really the push going forward uh, where we, we look at unified sports, unified clubs in schools, and people with and without disabilities playing together, working together, um, and you'll see that in, in force this weekend. And let's talk a little bit about um, healthy athletes. Can you explain that to, to someone that might not understand what, what this means? Yeah, you know, it... It, healthy athletes, if you look at Special Olympics movement and, you know, the two big pillars and strategic initiatives are around inclusive programming, so people with and without disabilities doing things together, and health and wellness. And you'll see both in, 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 out at the summer games, our healthy athletes will have a whole healthy athletes village that, uh, is where athletes, people with intellectual disabilities are 48% more likely to get a, a preventable uh, you know, uh, condition uh, just because they don't have access or it's undiagnosed. And they might not have access for a variety of reasons, whether it be transportation, whether it be fear, whether it be they don't have coverage. Um, and so what we provide at our state competitions is we provide free health care screenings in seven different disciplines where athletes can come through and get checked 
And then what we do for them is we offer follow-up care. So, for example, if you come in and get your eyes checked and you need prescription glasses, uh, we actually, through a partnership with the Lions, will grind glasses for that athlete right there on the spot. And so they'll leave with a, a nice pair of prescription glasses. If they already have glasses but they need sport goggles, they can leave with prescription sport goggles. Um, and the same is true, for example, one of the other disciplines is hearing. And so our athletes are, will be um, screened for their hearing. If there is an indication that they have a hearing issue, uh, there will be follow-up care. And if needed, if they need hearing aids, hearing aids are provided by our partnership with Starkey. And so, and the same thing it goes for all the other disciplines, as far as screening for health and wellness uh, is. Uh, screening for f- foot care, which is, a, is, a, is can be a real big problem, uh, body uh, body mass index, and so and so on. So athletes come through. It's a very friendly, very open environment. Uh, they get screened, and then we we have the follow up care that goes. It's it's a really uh, great program. Last but not least, I know uh, that the summer games are free and open to the public, and I'm I'm sure you folks encourage everyone to come on out. We do. You know, it is. Um, we're in, you know, if you're familiar with the University of St. Thomas, that it is, in, you know, it is surrounded by a very uh, a great neighborhood, and we've invited all the neighbors to come and be a part of that, um, and and to view anything. But also, if you want to, you know, anyone in the state of Minnesota to come and see, uh, you know, what what Special Olympics is all about, it's it's pretty eye-opening because people don't realize that it is athletes with and without disabilities competing together. They don't realize how many sports we do. They don't realize it's year-round. This happens to be our one summer games. But we have over 100 competitions that happen throughout the year. And after this is over, we'll roll right into our fall games, which is you know softball, bocce ball, golf, equestrian, and so on. So um, if they come in, it's free. Take a peek. It is. I think you'll be you'll be really impressed, and for sure you'll you'll learn a little something, and hopefully you get to meet some of our athletes because that's that's the best part. Thanks again to my guest, David Dorn, President and CEO of Special Olympics Minnesota. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns in a minute. So you see, son, good manners are very very important. Someday, many years from now, when you're a grown-up, you'll be a man. And when you are, you should be a gentleman. Do you want me to go through it one more time? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Exactly. Always say please, thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Sit up straight, hold doors open for ladies. If a door's shut, then knock first. Don't burp, don't swear, don't speak with your mouth full, don't reach across people's plates, keep your elbows off the table. What table? And don't interrupt. While we're at it, don't stare, don't use foul language, don't call people names, but do remember people's names. Always share your toys, play nice, and cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. On the bus, give up your seat to anyone who has trouble standing. Bottom line, treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Got it? Got it. And stop picking your nose. Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. In step with the rest of the country, Governor Tim Walz declared this past week to be Pollinator Week in Minnesota. Reporter J.W. Cox spoke with a Minnesota biology professor about the health of these important bees, bugs, and birds. Dr. Brian Bishop is a biology professor at Concordia University, Moorhead. He says it's hard to determine the overall health of pollinators here in Minnesota. The last survey 
that Minnesota did before the current one uh, was in 1919 of pollinators and, and bee species. And they're finishing up a survey that they started a few years ago. And right now we have, we had estimated we'd have some 400 species and, and the latest uh, numbers are 466 uh, bee species in the state of Minnesota. So we definitely have a good diversity of bees. Dr. Bishop says Minnesota's not alone, though, when it comes to struggling to understand pollinators. Part of our problem is so much of entomology had been on insects that, you know, directly impact us. Much less research, et cetera, went into more just basic biology of all the insects out there. And that included pollinators, except for some of the things like butterflies or fauna that people see and like, et cetera. So bees, taking them as an example, a lot of research in honeybees, but very little going on in the native bees. Given that, we really don't know a lot about native bees and a lot of other pollinators. So it's hard to assess what's happening with their populations because historical records are lacking. Um, although they're working now to try to use museum specimens, et cetera, to look at more historical records and then doing surveys today to see have they changed, have populations changed. So it's hard to say exactly what's happening with pollinators. No matter the broad trends, Bishop says it doesn't take much for everyone to get involved in promoting the health of these pollinators. The main things to do for pollinators is to provide habitat. And, you know, unfortunately, we tend to like uh, very uniform things. So, hence, we got a lot of lawns with, you know, short grass in it, etc. And for bees and other pollinators, you know, that's that provides nothing for them. So we need plants that are going to bloom and have flowers. And so providing that type of uh, habitat for them. And when we do that, we need to provide flowering plants that are blooming throughout the season. It doesn't have to be the same species. In fact, we don't want the same species. But, you know, you have a garden that has a mix of plants, flowering plants. So you have some blooming in the early spring, some in early summer, some in mid and then late summer, because you'll have different bees and other pollinators out during those different times. Another thing is to make sure the plants, the flowering plants, are typically single flower, not double flower, where you have a whole bunch of petals on it, because that takes away the pollen aspect of the plant, and you want to provide that pollen. So having single flower uh, types of plants uh, would be much better. And having native plants, plants that are native to your region, would be ideal. Bishop stressed this isn't a rural versus urban issue. No matter where you live, pollinators are there. The neat thing about the insects is that they don't need a lot of space. So there are some bees that, you know, they may spend their entire life within a few hundred yards of where they emerged from. So just having that little patch in your yard can provide some of that benefit of food, uh, nesting sites, etc. So on a local scale, you can make an impact for the bees that are in your area. 
And I think a good example of this uh, urban versus rural is, is just with the rusty patch bumblebee and how the populations uh, that we are still know exist are basically in cities right now uh, because there's more diversity of plants than in a lot of the farmland areas where you get monocrops. And so there's more diversity of farmland and possibly places for the bees to be nesting too. So it can make a big impact just in in cities and urban areas to have those spaces. Bishop also works with the Longspur Prairie Fund, an environmental group in western Minnesota. He says pollinators are a big part of their work and they hold events like community bee hunts to both study and understand pollinator impacts and also reintroduce people to the landscapes they're trying to save. A bee hunt, basically it's a citizen science project and what you do is you bring a camera and you go out and you look for bees. You try to get good photos of them that someone could look at and hopefully identify the bee. You know, there's only so many scientists and researchers. And so by having all these other eyes out there, they can document what's there and sort of give a snapshot. And it it can add then to the overall data that we have on, on pollinators. Whether it's to preserve the beauty of the landscape or for their impact on food production, Bishop says a week like this, to remember the pollinators, is good for us all. We live in a world with all these different players in it, and pollinators are one of them. And they're needed to help, obviously, pollinate plants. So they're important to help maintain functioning of ecosystems with these plants. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. to Minnesota Matters. Summertime is the off-season for the Golden Gopher Athletic Department, but the time outside of competition allows for the program to do outreach. The department recently completed the coaches' caravan to various parts of the state, which has been featured twice in recent weeks here on Minnesota Matters. Another outreach program was the statewide tour of Paul Bunyan's Axe, which is the trophy awarded annually to the winning team in the Minnesota-Wisconsin football game. For the first time in 15 years, the Golden Gophers won that game last November, and so the Axe wrapped up a nine-city tour all over Minnesota this week. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has the story. Scott, I sat down with Gopher Assistant Athletic Director Ben Frazier, who put the Axe Tour together. The Axe Tour is over. Um, why was it important to, uh, to get the Axe out all over the state of Minnesota? Yeah, it was really important for us as a department to get it out and let our fans uh, have a chance to hold it, take a picture with it. When we won the axe back in November, Coach Fleck talked about he wanted everybody in the state to have the opportunity to hold that axe and and feel part of the program. So uh, for us to have the nine-stop tour to get everywhere from East Grand Forks down to Rochester up to Duluth was a really really cool thing for our fans and uh, for the department to get out and engage with our, our season ticket holders, donors, and supporters. Did you have an estimate maybe of how many people got to take their picture with it? Yeah, I think we're well over 3,000 people have been through at these different stops, and so it's been a great uh, uh, outpouring of support, and we've seen some great stories, some former managers, some families that have taken pictures with it in the past. Just some really cool things have come out of going to these cities and and meeting our fans face-to-face and giving them the opportunity to to hold the axe and, and be part of that victory. 
I know you guys uh, put a lot of work into figuring out where to go and how to organize it. Uh, what was the reception like? You mentioned a, a couple of specific examples, but generally, uh, what was the feedback like when fans showed up to see it? Yeah, people were just really excited. They were happy we came out to them. That's a big piece of this is coming out to our fans, getting out into these communities, uh, using this time in the summer to, to thank them for their support coming to campus. And so it's always tough to pick to pick nine spots across the state, so we tried to spread it out our best uh, best we could. Like I said, we wanted to get really far up north, so East, East Grand Forks was a great opportunity for us. Rochester is a, is a great stop for us always. Uh, Redwood Falls, another uh, another southern city. Um, so we just, uh, Hutchinson, home of Lindsay Whalen. So we had some great opportunities to get out and really meet some, some, some of our fans. So the official tour is done with the X, but it won't be the final time, my guess is, that it's on display at different events and different functions, right? It'll definitely be out the state fair. I'm sure fans are wondering, but it will definitely be out there. And uh, we have the opportunity for fans to come see it on campus. We have a display case right in the Larson Football Performance Center that's open. Uh, the fans can come into the Hall of Fame and, and see it right there, too, if they haven't had the chance to see it yet. And the hope is that this isn't a one-year deal, right? No, we plan to hang on to this for a while. So, Very good. Thank you. Thanks. Ben Frazier on Minnesota Matters. Meanwhile, earlier this week in Faribault, the annual Bruce Smith Golf Classic was held, raising money for scholarships in memory of the only Minnesota Heisman Trophy winner, Bruce Smith. He won it back in 1941. This event's been held since 1975. Former Golden Gopher football player Emmett Carpenter was a celebrity golfer in the event and I chatted with him for Minnesota Matters. Well, uh, Emmett, uh, I know you're staying busy. Um, how cool is it for you to kind of come out and enjoy uh, some Gopher fans after your playing days now and get around to golf in and, uh, you know, partake in some post-round activity? Yeah, I've been saying it since day one. Gopher fans are some of the best out there, and uh, that's one of the big things I miss about not being on the football team anymore. So just being around the fan base and just other former players at an event like this is awesome. And definitely doesn't hurt to get to play some golf and uh, just meet some incredible people. Now, um, let me ask you, uh, you're keeping your leg in shape. Give me an update on, on how that's going here. Is it heading into uh, the summer months? Yep, certainly keeping the leg ready. Um, had a great time in Chicago for the, the mini camp, and uh, that was an incredible experience just to be there for a short period of time. But still staying ready, uh, kicking, you know, four, four or five days a week, still doing all the weightlifting and the training. Um, so, you know, we're hopeful the phone will ring at some point, but it's, uh, it's all about just having some patience now and just trusting the process and uh, just knowing that whatever happens, I've, I've put my best foot forward. And uh, if, if I just keep on working hard, then I can't have any regrets. What is the feedback that you got? I know you were in the mini camp, as you mentioned, in Chicago. What do, what do they tell you in terms of uh, your hopes and dreams down the road? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it always hurts a little bit just being asked to leave and getting cut, but that's part of the game. It happens to everyone at some point. Um, but the, the general feedback is that uh, you know, I, I have the talent to do it. I have the talent to compete at the national football level. But uh, that whole weekend was just a big eye-opener for me of everyone at that level uh, in the mini camp and uh, all the guys coming out of college, they all had incredible careers. But it's a whole different ball game to be one of those 32 guys to win the starting job as a kicker in the NFL. And it, uh, it just showed me how, how hard it is to get there and stay there. Those, so those guys like, like the Dan Baileys, the, the Adam Vinatieri's, those guys that are staying year after year after year, it's, it's truly impressive. But uh, gotten a lot of good feedback that there's still interest out there. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the talent is there. So uh, we're just staying hopeful. And I guess one of the things is there's a lot of guys probably capable. You just need that door 
to open a crack. You need a chance, right? I mean, some guys never might get that real chance, and for a lot of guys, that's all it takes. Exactly, and uh, a lot of it does just come down to the timing of it. Um, and there's certainly, it's kind of the, the makeup of being a kicker is that there's a lot of stuff that are out of your control, a lot of things out of your control. And uh, it just it just proves again and again that you can only control the certain things. And uh, a lot of it's just out of your hands. So you just have to hope for the best and uh, just hope some of the timing and the other things kind of shake your way. All right, very good. Always great to see you. Thank you. Great to see you, Mr. Grimm. Thank you. That's Emmett Carpenter on Minnesota Matters. Scott? Back to you. Thank you, Mike. Minnesota Matters returns after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins last week retired Joe Maurer's number seven. And so, with all apologies to Ernest Lawrence Thayer, the poet who wrote the baseball classic Casey at the Bat, here's my ode to Joe. There were cloudy skies at Target Field that June day. The number seven would forever go away. The hometown hero, last name Maurer, was set to speak within the hour. It's just humbling, you know. Um, I'm, I'm excited, I'm nervous, you know, all, all sorts of emotions. But um, you know, to come in and see, you know, like I said, my ex-teammates, and it's just like we haven't picked up, uh, you know, picked up right where we left off. It's a unbelievable collection of guys, um, not just players, but, but men. And um, to have my number up there uh, next to those guys, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to search for the right words, how much that means to me. Former teammates came from near and far. Hall of Famer Jim Tomey said Maurer set the bar. Special, tremendous teammate, one of the finer human beings I think the game is ever going to have seen. Uh, and probably one of the best left-handed swings the game is ever going to see. There was no better teammate, there was no finer gentleman in the game that carried himself how you're supposed to carry it. You know, but but also a, a highly big competitor that you know that would get fired up. And Joe will go down for me as you know is right there as one of my top you know five teammates ever. He's just so so genuine, so special. He's what the game is all about. What it, what it, it's how they say how it should look. 
That's Joe Maurer. Corey Provis, voice of the Twins, says it is so. There were sides to the man that Joe didn't show. Everybody thinks he was this all shucks kind of a quiet guy, but I had many players tell me that, you know, behind closed doors, he didn't see it in the dugout, but he would be, he was a leader. You know, he didn't do it in front of the public too often or the public would see or on camera, but he would lead his teammates. And it would happen in a different way that people never saw. But he was vocal. I had a bunch of guys tell me that who were who were new to being a teammate with Joe and they played with other teams in the past and they joined the Twins. And, and they said, boy, I, I had no idea that Maurer was, was that vocal, but he really is. So he has this leadership quality to him. He's always had it. But even behind the scenes, it would resonate with his teammates, maybe not so much in the public guy, but it had an impact inside that clubhouse. Soon the clouds parted, the sun shining bright as Maurer stepped up to the plate on his night. As a kid, I had a dream of playing in the big leagues. I would always pretend to be my favorite players. I paid such close attention to their every move. I copied their stances, their on-deck routines. I tried to swing the bat like them run like them, and make plays like them. I wanted to be one of them. There's no I in team, a cliche, but so true. Joe let off giving credit where it was due. A huge reason I am even standing up here today is because of the important people throughout my life who believed in me, challenged me, and taught me things that would set me up for success, not only as a ball player, but as a man. And I'm humbled that so many of them are here tonight. Joe took a moment as they stood in the stands. He couldn't get out without thanking the fans. They played a huge role in my career as well. Their cheers made me feel alive, and their disappointments pushed me to work harder. Their letters and fan mail and signs I could see from the field made me feel supported and proud to play here at home. And then it was time, recalling the past, an emotional Joe saved his best stuff for last. Wearing the number seven for the last 15 years has been my absolute pleasure. And being able to play my entire career in that number, in front of my family, friends, and fans, here at home, means more to me than any of you will ever know. Clouds were long gone, but there was rain, don't you know? Tears in the eyes of the fans there for Joe. I hope when everyone here tonight sees that number seven hanging in the rafters, you all know that you played a role in getting it up there. I know when I will see it, I will think of all of you and be forever grateful. Thanks again, and go get them tonight, boys. A twin 15 years. Three batting titles and three gold gloves, too. Generous off the field, helping kids in need, he was an MVP through and through. And then it was over in the blink of an eye. A tip of the cap to the hometown hero, no average Joe. His number seven retired. Thank you, number seven. And goodbye. Special thanks to Twins Radio. 
That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.